Hello, and welcome inside my chewy head. What kind of person gets locked up in a mental hospital? Someone violent? Unpredictable? Dangerous? What does it take to end up on an acute psychiatric ward? And if you did, would you ever tell anyone about it? This podcast is about dispelling myths, fear and stigma surrounding mental health from my own personal experience as a patient. Right, episode one. This comes with a small disclaimer. I will be talking about things which are very, very personal to me and also quite triggering if you have mental health issues such as suicide, uh, self-harm, feelings of general despair. So if you're in a really bad headspace, this might not be for you. Um, and equally, if you're a child, again, maybe not appropriate. Also. Right, let's let's just jump on in, shall we? Straight in there, inside my chewy head. Bear in mind, it is chewy, and so at times things fluctuate and change and are mixed up, and that's all part of me and my ongoing struggle with mental health. But our story begins on the 21st of August, 2019. So as I'm recording this now, it's nearly a whole year ago, which in itself absolutely terrifies me that this has been going on for that long. But anyway, that's where our story begins. Uh, I received a phone call in the afternoon. I'm an English teacher. And uh, anyone who is also an English teacher will know that at that time of the year, you receive your GCSE cohorts results. And so I received the results of my year 11s. And I had been expecting, I'll be honest, I'd been expecting greatness from them because I had put in the hours. And when I say put in the hours, I, I don't mean, you know, show up on on time for work or a few hours early, you know, once in a while or pull an all-nighter every night. Na- no, 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 no. I was showing up to work about the same time the cleaners show. In fact, every single day I w- would beat the cleaners to work. Uh, there were quite a few times where the, where the doors were actually locked and I had to wait until someone would let me in the building because nobody else was there. Um, and again, leaving late, very late, to the point where my husband would be having a go at me, telling me, you know, where's your personal life? Where's your family life? Where's your priorities, Ellie? Uh, And of course, I didn't really have any at the time. My priorities were based around fear and and fear that I wasn't good enough and wasn't doing enough and and wasn't the best teacher I could possibly be. And anyone who who is a teacher who might be listening, um, you'll know that there is literally never a moment in your whole day where you could be doing something towards your teaching job. So yeah, so essentially... I had this backstory of of a very, very obsessive work ethic, I think is the best way to put it. And it's August the 21st and it's the afternoon and I receive a phone call from a member of the senior leadership team who's in school on the day because they get like a little preview of the results before the whole staff body formally or officially find out the next day. And she was giving me the results of my kids over the phone. And I was literally writing down every single name, writing down what they got. And I started realizing pretty early on to the, you know, through the list that, you know, these kids were not getting what I thought they were getting, you know. So in my head, in my fantasy, aspirational, I don't even know what brain, I was thinking, right, you know, nines, eights, sevens, some sixes, maybe there'll be one or two who don't hit the mark. In fact, if I was being 100% honest with myself, I knew that there were at least three or four kids in that group who who probably couldn't get the mark. And, and I'd said that earlier on. But apart from them, I really felt that there, there could be no other reason why these children wouldn't get what, what they should have got. But as I say, she's given me this list of, uh, of the, the results. 
And in my head, I'm thinking, what? Would you really? Are you? Is there a mistake? Is there an error here? Because these can't be my results. I I don't understand why this child would have got this grade. You know, I had kids who I I presumed would be getting sixes, sevens, maybe, and they were getting fours. And I just couldn't tell you why that was. And I'll be honest with you, at that moment, my brain broke. It broke because it could not compute. I was like a machine that someone had put a strange code into and the machine just couldn't register what was going on. Um, And as a result of that, I stopped being able to function very, very rapidly after that. So um, I ended the phone call. I continued to look at the results. I started crying. My husband was there. And then very shortly after that, my friend came over because she was coming over, you know, for the evening or whatever. And I can just remember being sat on the sofa and her talking to me. And, you know, as you would do, if something happens to your friend, you discuss it with them. But then you move on and talk about them and their lives. And I just could not register a single word that was coming out of her mouth because I was so busy in my own head thinking about these results, thinking about who had got what and why they had got what they got and how could they possibly have got what they got and what did that say about me as a teacher? Yeah, and it just consumed me. It was like a fire that burned and burned and burned and burned. Um, I didn't sleep all of that night. I was dreading the next day thinking about the fact that I was going to have to go in and face these kids who I'd let down. It was all my fault, how I hadn't done as well as other certain members of the department and how particularly one member of the department who there was a real issue between us, which I won't go into now, but you could have a whole podcast series on that, trust me. But, you know, she had performed what I perceived to be better than me and I couldn't understand that. Um, And it broke me. I, I remember lying there looking at jobs. I was looking at jobs. I was thinking, well, I can't teach anymore. I'm done. I'm done teaching. Draw a line under that one. What am I going to do with my life now? Should I work for this charity? Do I have the time to retrain for a different job? You know, it was it was mad. Um, I just cried. I didn't sleep. Couldn't really eat. Uh, went to work the next day to to deliver the results to the children. It was like an out of body experience. People came up to me. I didn't really again register anything they were saying. I was interested in what was happening uh, inside my head, and that was the only thing I could talk about. And that was my results and how bad they were, and understanding how they could be that bad, which I just could not comprehend. And then after that, I went home and cried and cried some more. And my husband, who, bless his heart, up until that point had been a bit like, oh, okay, Ellie's like this. She's dramatic sometimes. And, you know, she's an English teacher, a classic English teacher, very emotional and all of the things that we associate with English teachers. Um, But he just turned to me and he said, Ellie, are you having a breakdown? Like, are you having a nervous breakdown? And at that point, I said, yeah, I think I think I actually might be. And it was like a weird moment. And I, I think about this moment a lot now because I think, God, if he hadn't asked me that, would I have been able to just suck it all back in and carry on and go to work? But that isn't what happened. And what happened was that I then went into like a catatonic state, I would say. Um, I just, I was mentally, I wasn't there. I don't know where I was. I have very, very shaky memories of of the the next, I'd say, 24 hours or so. Um, I was in bed. I was crying. I was saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I was saying that over and over and over again. 
I think my husband was completely flabbergasted and scared, as you know, you would be. And so he rang his mum because <laughs> that's that's just what he did. And she said, uh, could she speak to me? So I, I was on the phone to her. She said, Ellie needs to go to the to the doctors. So that we got a doctor's appointment. Uh, he took me to the doctors. I think that was the same day. The doctor immediately said I couldn't go to work the next day. I needed to take a bit of time out. Um, he said I was depressed. And I was like, um, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Because my understanding of depression up until that point had been that it happened to like, you know, sad. Oh, look, I'll be totally honest with you. And I know that this is completely disgraceful to have this perception of, of depression. But before I became depressed myself or realised that that's what was going on with me, th- that's what I thought. Um, and I'm sure that I'm not alone. And I'm sure that there are lots of other people right now, maybe even listening to this, who have like a, a, a misconception of depression, that it's just something that happens to like sad, fat loser people who can't get it together or ruminate and cry. And and to be honest, depressed people do ruminate and they do cry. Um, and, you know, in my case, I certainly could not get it together, uh, but it wasn't for will of trying. So, yeah, so the doctor said to me, "I, you know, you're you're clearly depressed. I was shocked by that, dismissed that immediately. No, I'm not depressed. Um, we went home and I informed my, well, my husband was in contact with my work because I couldn't deal with them at all. Uh, because essentially the next few days were inset days and I was supposed to be delivering one of the mornings of the inset. Uh, so they were kind of dependent on me. And I was determined I was going to go to this morning. Um, bear in mind that along this period of time or somewhere in this period of time, I then started getting panic attacks. Never had a panic attack before in my life. Couldn't really have told you what a panic attack was properly. You know, again, I just thought it was something that people did when they're a bit sad or emotional before I actually had one. Um, and I was having them just constantly, constant panic attacks, you know, to the point where my, my stomach muscles hurt from the hyperventilation or whatever. So anyway, I was determined I was going to go to work. I was going to go to work. I was going to go to work. Got up that morning, determined to get in, go to work. And my husband was like, look, you cannot go to work because if you go to work and break down and have a panic attack, you're going to feel even worse than you already do. Like you need to just look after yourself. Uh, but I was in complete denial that, that I even had a problem. But he was right because I, I, I then essentially got dressed for work, got my shoes on and, and my shoes were a really big thing at that time. Like I found it so hard to put shoes on. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I did. I found it hard to put my shoes on. It would take me half an hour to an hour just just sitting there trying to put my shoes on. And at that point, I, I just kind of gave in and realised that there was there wasn't no way I could get to work. You know, I just couldn't I couldn't do it. Um, and to me, that felt like a massive failure on top of the failure which I'd already just experienced of of these results which I felt were appalling results um, and that was kind of the start of my breakdown and I can remember just feeling absolutely terrified and absolutely overwhelmed by this whole new experience of my body being in control and my mind having to take a back seat almost because I, I was not in control of when I had a panic attack or how long it took me to do something or even making a plan for that day I, I couldn't do it. I could not do it at all. And it was terrifying. And 
I think partly that probably prompted further panic attacks. So it was a vicious cycle, a very, very negative cycle of failure and just feeling that everything was was my failure. Um, and of course, the, the the irony of that is that essentially my my real failure there was was a lack of acceptance because I I couldn't accept what was happening. Anyway, time went on. Life continued around me, uh, which I found very, very distressing because for me, how could anything be be the same? And yet things were for everybody else. Somebody else probably took my inset. I don't know. I wasn't there. You know, my husband had to go to work and it was a really, really difficult time because I felt like I was stuck in one period of time and one moment really of distress that I couldn't break out of. I couldn't eat. I didn't sleep. I, I struggled to just negotiate the very basics of, of life. Uh, my mum would come up and support me. My dad came up. My, my best friend would come up. Basically, I was on 24-hour watch, really. And I was involved with a number of outpatient services who, quite frankly, none, none of which really wanted me. They kind of told me I didn't fit their criteria. And, and perhaps I didn't. I don't know. I, I do think that depending on where you live, the opportunities and, and the resources that are available to you in terms of kind of mental health support really vary. And unfortunately, where, where I live, it, they weren't great. But as I say, I was stuck. And so I don't know that one service was really going to help me much more than anything else could at that moment in time. Um, I just felt like I was a machine that was broken and that had no future. I couldn't possibly see myself ever teaching again. I couldn't see myself having another job. I couldn't see myself doing anything. I just, I just, for me, looking into the future was, was blank. There was nothing there. And all I could do right now was cause people around me pain. I strongly felt that I was letting everybody down uh, and people would be better without me. I was 100% certain. And, and that kind of grew and grew and grew in my head and got louder and louder and more sure as, as time went on. Um, about three or four weeks of, of living like that. I really started thinking seriously about taking my own life. Uh, I would wake up in the morning and just think, how the hell am I going to get through today? How how am I going to do it? How? I don't know how. Um, and I, I kind of would sit in my garden and I would stare at the washing line that was hanging because um, it was kind of early autumn, late summer. And so there was a washing line. <laughs> And I would think I could hang myself from that and that that would hold my weight. And that progressed to me trying it out um, in a sense, not, you know, properly because otherwise I wouldn't be here. But, you know, really experimenting with it, seeing would it test, you know, because it was I don't want to go into the details of the actual mechanisms, and you know, but essentially I was I was playing with the idea of suicide uh, and I was openly discussing it with my husband and saying, look, there there really is no real reason for me to be here like I, I, I find life an agony and I, I don't want to live it anymore um, and you know from his perspective he said at times it was so kind of cogent the way that I was speaking that it was difficult almost to argue with me and I remember one time I think that this might have been a couple of days before I, I was then admitted to hospital and I, I did try and kill myself we were in the car and we were driving down the high street and 
uh, a new Vietnamese place had opened up and they were doing Vietnamese coffee, which I had tried previously um, on a holiday. And I said, oh, there's a Vietnamese place. Like, we should go and get a coffee sometime. And my husband just broke down in tears and he was crying and I was really confused. Like, what what are you crying about? And he was like, you literally were just telling me that you were going to kill yourself. And then in the next breath, you're telling me that you want to try this place for a coffee. Like, how does that, how does that work? Uh, and I imagine that must have been really confusing for him. And I didn't have an answer to that, really, because in my head that, you know, my, like that's why my podcast is named what it is. My head was being chewed at. It was being gnawed at all the time. And eventually I lost it. It's not really a battle. People talk about depression being a battle, but I just lost myself. There was nothing there. Um, I, it was always almost like a disappearing, I would say. And, and it, this sense of needing to be dead just took over, which essentially meant that one night, it was a Saturday evening and we'd got a takeaway. I wasn't really eating anything at that time, but I'd said, oh, let's get a takeaway. And I remember we got the pizza and then I literally, I think I ate like three or four bits, like bites. And then I was like, oh, I'm done because, I, you know, I didn't get any pleasure from from it. So I didn't see the point in eating it. <laughs> and I remember just sitting there watching TV and just thinking, God, you know, if if I just didn't exist anymore, then everything would stop. All of this shit in my head would stop and people around me would be better off. And I, I was determined then that I would kill myself. And so I, uh, my husband had to let the dog out. So I went upstairs, locked myself in the bathroom and I attempted to slip my wrists with um, a razor. My husband obviously had been very concerned about me leading up to this. He broke down the door um, and physically had to restrain me. Um, I had already cut into my own wrists. Um, and it was it's a bit blurry, if I'm honest, in terms of exactly what happened. But I know that he called an ambulance uh, because the crisis team, which were one of the services that I was involved with, had basically been building a case, I think, to have me admitted to hospital or something. I don't really know. But essentially, um, I refute, I didn't want to go to hospital. I didn't think there was anything wrong with me. I thought it was an overreaction. And to be honest, I was afraid. I was really afraid. I was just so afraid. I, was, I just found the prospect of living just seemed impossible and you know how could there be a way a different way of living I couldn't I couldn't see that so I I just thought hospital would be a complete waste of time and taxpayer money and all of these strange thoughts Uh, my husband was you know as you would be shocked distressed called his parents who lived not too far away and they came over um, and eventually they I was put in an ambulance and I was taken to hospital uh to an A&E department and I just remember feeling completely like how I imagined an animal would feel if they were trapped in some sort of net or something like I just felt completely panicked just full of panic and just 
fear and and kind of anticipation like what's going to happen now like I I just didn't know um I didn't want to go to hospital um in terms of you know going to a psychiatric unit because I had probably what the majority of, of the public have in terms of an opinion about psychiatric units you know that they're for mad people um I don't really know what I, what I really meant by mad mad people um but I, I certainly didn't think I had this kind of arrogance of thinking like oh it's, it, that's not for me you know not someone like me that you know that might be okay for somebody who talks to themselves or I don't know has an eating disorder or whatever but but that's not for me um and I was in that A&E department and bless them <laughs> my husband and his parents were in that A&E department for must have been the majority of the night um at which point it got to I think it was about four in the morning when this nurse came in and she said right either you go to hospital and you agree or we will section you and we have a doctor ready because they were they were basically thinking that I would refuse and my husband was like Ellie please just please do this make sure that you that you go voluntarily because you know it'll be better for you um and I, and I think I just gave in then and I, I just said, okay. And I guess maybe a very small part of me was hopeful, you know, thought maybe something in this hospital will help me. You know, I don't know what that could be. I can't imagine it, but maybe. Um, and then I took another ambulance to this other hospital um and I arrived on that ward at about five in the morning so it was Sunday it was five in the morning and I was probably the most scared I've ever been (laughs) it was it was terrifying um and yeah I, I wish I could say that 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 experience was was the start of a brand new exciting chapter in my life where I just found a new lease of life and I wish I could say that, but but it's actually a lot more complex and a lot more nuanced and difficult and challenging uh, to this day, you know, um, than, than that. And and I, I think sometimes we think life is like almost like a film or a book, or we tell stories, don't we? And they always have a beginning and they have an end. And and maybe if if that was, I mean, I know this sounds <laughs> really egocentric, but if my life was a movie, that would be the end, wouldn't it? That would be like that. Oh, and then she goes into hospital and she comes. But that is not real life. And life doesn't have a beginning and an end. I mean, it does in terms of life and death, sure. But in terms of the journey that you go on, there aren't like chapters that, you know, it, it's just a, it's a continuity. It just carries on. Um and sometimes you can't even see, you know, your own character development, if we're going to use the story analogy. Um, but yeah, I think I'll leave it there for this episode. So I've just arrived in my first hospital. <laughs> I'm terrified. It's five in the morning. And I'll pick it up next time. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to stick around, I'd love to carry on the conversation with you. You can follow me on Twitter at HeadChewy or follow on Instagram at ChewyHeadPodcast or even drop me an email with suggestions or reviews or questions that you might have that I could cover in later episodes of the podcast. It's ChewyHeadPodcast at gmail.com. 
Every Tuesday, I will be bringing you instalments from my Chewy Head. Next time, I'll be picking up with my first day and night on the psych ward. See you then.